I've had the pleasure of knowing Becky for over 10 years now, and she is one of the co-founders of Tottenham. In this, the first official episode of Tottenham Revisited, we talk about her journey with ulcerative colitis. I really hope you enjoy listening. And please be aware that there is some mild bad language in this. Apologies. Oh, mate, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm good. What have you been how doing you? today? I'm nothing really. Pete's been, Pete's trying to get loads of work done before uh, we go home for Christmas, so he's been working all day. So I've just been entertaining myself. Nice. Yeah. Are, are you watching anything good at the minute? Uh, we've been watching a bunch of old stuff, and then Christmas films. Basically, is what we've, we're not watching like a particular series at the minute. Um, yeah. but it's been quite nice. Watched a couple of absolutely shite Christmas films, um, but then a couple of really good ones. So it balances out. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are some like terrible Christmas films. I think we can all accept that. <laughs> Yeah, so bad. We watched one last night called The Christmas Chronicles, or Christmas Chronicles 2, I think it was. And it was just absolutely atrocious. It was so bad. But then, the other night, we watched one called Klaus, which is on Netflix, and that one was brilliant. That one was really good. So, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, you do. We watched Santa Claus. I think that was last weekend. We've got some prepped. Yeah, we've got some prepped for the next couple of weekends if you know what I mean like yeah. Muppets Christmas Carol we push that to nearer Christmas because yeah, it's one yeah, of I our yeah I think we're faves. doing that Christmas Eve yeah um so yeah we'll just we'll just have a look and see what we can I've got Disney Plus now by the way I don't know if I told you oh that it is good it is it um, is good so there's quite a few on there that I want to watch yeah so. I we watched for the first time since like I was an actual child the Beauty and the Beast Christmas special. They did like a mini Christmas film. It's like Beauty and the Beast themed. And I was like, and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid. And you know when you watch something you haven't seen since you were a kid and you're like, is this actually going to be shit? <laughs> like, have <laughs> I remembered it really fondly, but then I'm going to watch it and it's going to be terrible. And it actually wasn't terrible. I, really, I still really enjoyed it. <laughs> I might have to watch that. I know what you mean. It's kind of like you have to sort of brace yourself a bit when you watch something that you loved as a child because it's like... There is an element of, I know it's going to be really bad, <laughs> but you just but don't want to like, accept it. The Beauty and the Beast one has Tim Curry doing the voice of like an evil grand, like massive organ, like piano organ. Oh my God. It's like the, it's really, it's bonkers, but I really like it. Anyhow, right. Shall we start? Yes, let's start. <laughs> um, So I read back over all the Tottenham um, blogs uh, the other day. It might have been yesterday. What day is it? Who knows? Um, and I think one of the things that really st- struck me when I was reading your post is how much you've actually gone through, but also like getting the right treatment for you was such a difficult thing. Are you yeah. still kind of looking I mean, the for treatment- the right thing? The treatment that I'm on now has been by far the most successful. Um, like I was trying, I was diagnosed in 2015, but I'd had symptoms for a couple of years prior to that. And then there was about three years of 
trying different things. Um, some of them had worked for a while and then they'd stop working or they'd sort of work in a small way, but not sort of completely get rid of the symptoms. Um, mm. And it was quite a sort of, but it was so frustrating because I'd be well for six weeks and then I'd be really ill for a month and then I'd be well for two weeks and then I'd be ill for a month. Um, so it was just frustrating. But then they put me at the beginning of 2019, it must have been like right at the beginning of 2019, they put me on this new, it's like an infusion drug. So I have to, it's called Vedalizumab. Uh, and I have to go to the hospital every eight weeks um, and get hooked up to a drip. And it takes about an hour um, for them to sort of pump it into me. But it's been like great. Like I'm, it's, you wouldn't know that I had an illness <laughs> if you'd only known me in the last couple of years. Cause I just haven't, I haven't had any flare ups. It's been, I'm just going to touch some wood while I say that. Uh, yeah me too (laughs) but it's been fantastic like I had the first it took a few months to work but they told me it would they said it would take sort of two or three months before it kicked in um because it has to sort of build up in your system and so the first couple of months were a, a bit of a slog but then since then since like March last year um I've been more or less symptom free it's been great that's so great it's it is so, so great. great. It is so great. <laughs> My question is then, is it does it just depend on the type of and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, ulcerative colitis. <laughs> ulcerative colitis. Ulcerative colitis, sorry. I yeah. knew I'd get it wrong. Um <laughs> I should have asked you at the start. Is is it does it just depend on the type you've got, what treatment works for you, or is it the case that the treatment you're on now was kind of like a new thing that they were trialing or? I think it's kind of a combination. Like the, the kind of colitis you have, I don't think matters particularly. Like there isn't, so ulcerative colitis is one of two illnesses that come under the sort of banner of inflammatory bowel disease. And there's ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, but they're the kind of two types. And basically the different words just means the different parts of your digestive system that the disease affects um so but i think after that point it's just very individual to different people i mean i've got a couple of friends who have ulcerative colitis same as me and no one's on the drug i'm on um everyone's on different things but it works for different people i mean vedalizumab the one they've got me on now is a fairly new drug Mm -hmm. um and so I think they had to try me on lots of other things first because it's a new drug. It's a really expensive drug. So the NHS wants to sort of like try you on all the cheaper things and make sure that none of those will work. And then it's a sort of gradient, I think, where kind of like they'll tick things off on a list of kind of what's the best thing for you to be on and the sort of most affordable for the NHS and all those other kind of considerations. And so they'll try you on thing one. And if thing one doesn't work, then they'll put you on thing two. And if thing two doesn't work and it kind of goes up like that. And I I got further up that ladder (laughs) than a lot of people. And I mean, I get that because obviously the NHS has been totally underfunded, but it's so exhausting. I imagine having to go through that process. It is exhausting. And you kind of, there were times where I would get frustrated because the doctors, or at least my my nurse, my IBD nurse was amazing and she was so supportive and so helpful all the way through. But you do sometimes get the sense that to the doctors, you're kind of numbers on a page and that like, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. So we'll put them on this other thing. Like I remember thinking it when they first put me on the vedalizumab 
and they said it'll take two or three months to start working and so I was saying okay well for those two or three months what happens like are you going to put me on something else to manage my symptoms in the meantime and they kind of just went no <laughs> like you're just gonna have to you're just gonna have to suck it up um, which is very easy for them to say but it's a different thing to kind of like live through it and I don't think it does work for everyone I mean they said to me when they put me on it um mm. that kind of 50 percent of people react really well to it um and about 50 percent don't have that much of a positive reaction to it so I was, I was quite lucky in that respect how do you like deal with that emotionally um I mean when they first the first appointment where they told me that I just cried a lot <laughs> and then yeah, went home and cried some more and rang my mum and cried on her <laughs> um but then I mean, you just get on with it. Like, there comes a point where you can't... Like, I was very lucky as well in that at that point, my job was work from home. Mm. Um, and the times where it's been... not Maybe not the worst to deal with in a personal sense, but kind of like the most difficult to deal with in a sort of wider sense in terms of the way it affects my life have been when I've had office jobs. And so if you have a flare-up, there's this constant trying to figure out like am I ill enough to have a day off or kind of yes. like you feel like like I can only have so many days off so is this one of the bad days or do I need to just suck it up and go in today and then if I need if I feel worse later then I can have another day off yeah um, whereas because at the point where they put me on the vedalizumab I was working from home I could still do that I could just sit in bed <laughs> on my laptop yeah so it's it's a lot easier for you yeah, so it kind of took those it took those stresses out of it, mm. um, and it just I think I it was only my symptoms were only bad for sort of four or five weeks, and then I started to notice an improvement. Mm. Um, so that kind of mentally that really helps because you feel like oh it's working like if I just keep going, then it'll start to work properly, and it did start to work properly. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, it was worth it in the end. <laughs> it's sort of like, for me, going running, I always say it's a very mental thing, running, because if you go out and you think, oh, I'm going to run 30 minutes today, you mentally prepare for that. And you can, well, you can train and get up to that point and do it. And I think it's more difficult when you're not prepared for something that you can't mentally sort of get to that place of like, okay, well, I've gone through this, and I can just do it another week. And then, you know what I mean? Completely. Sort of... I mean, I think mentally balancing out these things is half the battle. Mm. Um, like how you feel about it and how the practical parts of it are affecting you can be two quite different things. So I think that is a huge part of it. And I think that was kind of, I mean, just as I said then, like even when my symptoms were still quite bad, I could tell that they were getting better, or at least I felt like I could tell they were getting better. And that made me feel like I was getting there and it made me feel less miserable about the whole thing. Yeah. And I mean, I've noticed that hugely with kind of like the hair loss that I get as part of my colitis, that the actual kind of like, it's sort of just like hair thinning over my whole head. It's been fairly consistent. Like it's been happening pretty consistently since I first got my colitis symptoms. But what changes dramatically is how I feel about it. Like I have periods where I think it's getting really bad or I feel like it's getting really bad and it's miserable. But mm. then I go through other phases where I think kind of, well, but I haven't gone bald, have I? <laughs> so yeah. You know, it'll, it's always going to go up and down. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually, because another one of your blog posts, or there was a couple that were um, on side effects. 
So I think yeah. one, you went into a lot of side effects of the medication, the different medication you've been on. And I know we've spoken quite a lot about swollen <laughs> ankles. <laughs> yes. I don't know why that annoyed me so much. It sounds like such a tiny side effect, swollen ankles, but I hated it. It was so irritating. Well, and I mean, I'm putting words in your mouth here, Becky, but I, I can think for us both, and I've known you long enough that I can say this, you know, we've never been overly complimented for, you know, any part of our no. body. Well, no, you know, completely. within reason. And I think, you know, I quite like my ankles and I'm sure you probably feel the same way. <laughs> well, this was it. Is that I'd, I'd never thought about my ankles before in my life. Like they were just ankles. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly I was kind of, do you know, the ones that I still look back on the photos and I'm still furious about my ankles is um, our friend Chloe's wedding. And that oh, was when yeah. I was on the medication that gave me chubby ankles. But obviously I'm wearing like a nice dress and some kind of, we're all dressed up. It's a wedding. Um, and every time I look at pictures of me, all I can see are my fat ankles. <laughs> it's like when you notice that you've you've made a mistake on something and it's like the only thing you can notice yeah. every time you look at something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it would be oh. irritating as well. Like I'd get home, like I'd walk home and then my ankles would swell up, but they'd be like hot and itchy as well. Oof. And I'd be like sat on the sofa with my legs in the air <laughs> trying to get the like blood back into the rest of me. We should oh, say that this this medication was for blood pressure, wasn't it? This it was, yeah. That wasn't for yeah. my colitis. That was for my blood pressure. But you did write a blog about the hair loss as well. And yeah. when I was reading it back and I could kind of hear your voice in my head, I could tell you were kind of going, I know this isn't a big deal, but it is a big deal. You know, it was yeah. that sort of thing of like, I think you felt after everything that, I think you even put like after all these blogs that have been written about, losing children and you know cancer, childhood cancer and to talk about serious things but i do think and I, I think this more as i get older actually that hair for women is such an incredibly important part of who we are yeah absolutely i mean i think different people have different things like parts of their appearance that are kind of particularly important to them and I have, like, extremely unremarkable hair. It's very, like, run-of-the-mill <laughs> average kind of hair. But for me, it was always the thing where if I'd, like, done something with my hair, that was what made me feel kind of dressed up. And it was just... And it always, it just felt like some sort of, like, personal punishment. Because, like, hair loss is a side effect of colitis, but it's not one that affects everyone. And I know quite a few people with colitis and Crohn's disease, and nobody else has the hair loss. So it was kind of... Yeah, it felt weirdly personal. And obviously it's not, it's a disease. But I think mm -hmm. when I wrote that blog, what was, what what I have, because I've read that blog back since, and the thing that I kind of, I think you can tell when you read it, is that it's the one I feel the most helpless about. Yeah. Like with my colitis and my blood pressure, obviously that's, those things have been taken very seriously by doctors and there have been people helping me with those things from the beginning. <clears throat> whereas with my hair medical professionals don't really want to know and I completely understand why that's the thing I completely understand why it's just hair <laughs> like you're not going to die from being bald <laughs> like mm -hmm. it is just a sort of vanity thing really but I think that's what can make it really upsetting is that it makes you feel like you're on your own with it for seven years I haven't gone a day without noticing that too much of my hair is coming out but doctors don't really want to know and that's quite isolating yeah and I think 
I think you're right in the sense that sometimes with things that have been going on with me, it's like your health is so personal. Like it sounds like the most obvious thing to say and it probably is, but it's like there's that whole thing of you are an individual and obviously things are going to affect you that wouldn't affect other people. And I think what I really liked about that blog was like that was the finest examples of that for me because I know if I was you, I'd feel the same way, you know? Because my hair's always been such a big part of my identity. Are you still kind of... Does it come in, in sort of phases then with the hair loss? Like, Because I remember there was a time, maybe last year, where it was starting to thicken out a bit more. And Yeah, there's been a couple of periods um, where it has more or less stopped sort of thinning. Or it's come out in the sort of normal rate that it always used to. And I, I mean, I have my personal theories about why that was at the time. Um, but it doesn't seem like I've struggled to kind of replicate it. And it's, I mean, honestly, I've spent so much time and energy and money, frankly, trying things to stop my hair falling out uh, over the last few years and nothing really works. But I think that's because at the end of the day, I think it is a medical issue. I think it's caused by something going on internally. So like Mm. a shampoo isn't going to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, though, this is one of the things that's so frustrating about it is that it's so hard to tell what is actually happening and what's my perception. Because <laughs> like, I could look at photos of my hair from seven years ago and see how much thicker it is. But I know that nobody looks at me and thinks, Jesus, her hair's thin. Yeah. Because it doesn't because they don't don't see the comparison. Like they don't know how thick it was mm-hmm. back in the day. I mean, I think it's just for me that I know I'm not supposed to pull out the amount of hair. Like in the shower, when I kind of like condition my hair and pull my hand through, I know I'm not supposed to be pulling out that much hair. Mm-hmm. No one is. <laughs> but at the same time, it's not that my hair isn't growing. Like it does still grow. It just falls out faster than it should. But mm-hmm. it's only re- it's only me that notices. It's only me that kind of can tell that that's happening. Mm-hmm. But that kind of, I imagine, adds to the whole feeling of isolation with it you know because the people who could help like the doctors and the medical professionals you know aren't really helping and then you seem to be the only one that can really tell or really notice it and sort of acknowledge it completely and I think we've all been in situations haven't we where you're trying to convince a doctor of something yeah (laughs) and a doctor with their kind of like medical training is saying but it's this, but you mm. knowing your own body and what's actually been happening to you are like, no, it's not that. I'm telling you it's not that. Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why I think Tottenham was so great was because we we all recognised that, you know, with our individual things. I think it was even not, not getting a diagnosis or not being listened to or kind of feeling like you were a bit helpless in it. And yeah. I must say, like, over the last couple of years as well with all the stuff that's been going on bits and bobs I still feel the same way Becky I still feel like yeah most of the time Completely. most of the time now I see a nurse at the at the doctors I don't see a doctor I haven't seen a GP for about a year and a bit and obviously there was COVID and stuff like that's been happening obviously so things have changed but I can be a bit more myself with a nurse and I don't know whether yeah. that's because of my sort of bad experiences with some GPs in the past or whether it's just because they ask different questions but that's yeah. been my experience recently like I am very lucky in that I have a really good GP 
um, who does always take me seriously and has always taken me seriously. Um, but I've definitely, I mean, it took me two years to get diagnosed with colitis. And I went to the doctor saying I was having like digest, like stomach problems several times in those two years. I mean, there was one doctor I saw who kind of, where I was sat there telling him, I think it's ulcerative colitis because my dad has it. Like I have a family history of it and I fit all the symptoms. And he just brushed me off. He was just kind of like, oh no, well, you've not got this one particular symptom. So it's probably not. On you go. Obviously, I haven't self-diagnosed everything I've ever had perfectly, but I, I, that was my instinct as that's what I thought I had. And -hmm. it turned out I did have it, but it took me two years to persuade a doctor to actually test me for it. But then it was a GP. It was a really good GP in the end who kind of took me seriously and got a particular test done, like testing for inflammation um, in my whole body. And that was what showed that there was something wrong that kind of Mm -hmm. then got me referred to the hospital. There are certain nurses and certain doctors who are just really good. And I think when you find a really medical professional who kind of listens to you properly and takes you seriously, um, they are worth hanging on to. Yeah, cling on for dear life. Cling on for dear life. Yeah. (laughs) My like IBD nurse who I see at the hospital is one of my favourite people in the world. Like She's (laughs) just amazing. And it's really good that you've got her as well, because I think when you've spoken to me about her and she's, I don't want to say a mother figure, but you know what I mean? Like she's kind of like the There's person. that element to it. Like she's kind of, she's supportive and she's kind and she kind of listens yeah. to me. And I think that's what makes the difference is that it never feels like very often when I have an appointment with the gastroenterologist, it's very kind of like bang, bang, bang. Like they ask you a bunch of questions, you answer them and they're like, great, carry on, get a blood test, do this, whatever. Um, whereas with my nurse who's called Nicola it feels like a conversation and she and she has a conversation with me she you know will ask things about my personal life and kind of make me feel like a real person rather than just a patient who has to sort of answer these questions so that they can fill in this form and get you out the door yeah and you're automatically I think calmer in that situation more likely to open up I think which Definitely. is important. And it makes her feel more approachable as well. I mean, as yeah. I say, I've been well for ages now. But when I was getting kind of regular flare-ups, I had to, you know, contact the hospital to then see someone to get it sorted out every time. And the first couple of times that happened when I wasn't sure who to contact or what kind of, like, channels to go through, that was quite a barrier. It was just kind of being like, but I don't know who to call. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to book an appointment with the doctor? Am I supposed to, like do I have to go back through the GP? What's the system? Whereas as soon as I had her phone number and her email address, I would just call her and she would just sort it out. That's so great. Yeah, she is great. (laughs) I was wondering, you know, this, this whole podcast series is kind of like revisiting Tottenham and kind of that um, contrast between how we were then, you know, 2016, 2017 to how we are now when, you know, we're all, we're all a bit older and um, we're all in different circumstances now. So I was just wondering, like, do you worry much about the future with, you know, your condition and how it will affect that? Or do you just kind of like live each day as it comes? Um, I mean, I think kind of the sort of person I am, I tend to think about the future a lot. And I always tend to be kind of like looking to see what's going to happen in the next few years. I mean, as it is, I hope, like like I say, the medication that I'm on is fairly new. 
so they don't have a lot of long-term studies on it um but i just hope that it keeps working basically as long as it keeps working the way it has been for the last couple of years um yeah that's basically it is that i just want it to keep working and i want it to be you know i don't want them to discover that if you're on it for 10 years then it kind of affects your bone density or whatever i want it to just (laughs) keep working I mean, we're sort of in our late 20s now, sorry to say. (laughs) (laughs) Getting to the point where you're starting to sort of think about the next steps. Uh, Mm. And I'm very aware that kind of at the point where I, if I wanted to have a baby or anything like that, it would be a very different experience for me than it would for someone who doesn't have my condition or conditions, I suppose, if you count high blood pressure. And I think that's the thing where I'm kind of, sort of warily looking at it in a sort of distant way now (laughs) where I've sort of like started asking questions that kind of okay well if I was at that point in my life what would happen just to sort of like just so I'm aware of what the process would be like for me knowing that it isn't going to be like what it would be for most women yeah what would you have would you have to come off your medication then is that what they've said well I don't know basically um, okay. <laughs> I the last time I had a conversation with well I'll say the last time last time I had a conversation with my nurse was the first time I'd asked her about it um, and she was saying that right now I think it depends on the hospital because as I okay. say it's a new-ish drug so they have done some studies with pregnant women who've taken the drug um, but there haven't been very many studies so they don't oh, yeah. have and I think so far it's looked as though women who've taken the drug whilst pregnant, there haven't been any kind of adverse effects, but there isn't a lot of that data. Mm. Um, and so what Nicola, my nurse, told me is that at the moment, the RVI, the hospital that I go to in Newcastle, doesn't support staying on this drug whilst you're pregnant. Um, okay. Just because they don't have the research to sort of back it up. But I mean, when I was saying this is kind of, they're very much future questions. It's things that I'm going to want to sort of act on in two, three, four years time. Yeah. Um, And she said to me, she was like, in two, three, four years time, it might be completely different. Like we might have all this new research and all this new data. So we might be saying something else. Um, Yeah. But she was very kind of like, as she always is, she was just very kind of supportive and encouraging of just kind of saying, you know, women with ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease have babies all the time and it's often absolutely fine um you just like your pregnancy is automatically considered high risk so you just have to have a lot more appointments and you have to sort of like your gastroenterologist so your kind of gut doctor and the baby doctor have to sort of work together um and you sort of keep both of them like keep seeing both of them throughout the pregnancy I mean basically what she said is that it's possible and it'll probably be fine um and we'll just revisit it at the point where you want to. At Aww. this point, that was all I really wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, just the sort of reassurance, really. Yeah, completely. And what a nice thought that, you know, your pregnancy could bring together a, <laughs> a gut doctor <laughs> and a gynecologist with some, like, blossoming friendship that would happen. <laughs> Maybe they're already there. Maybe they're, like, besties and they just see people together. Yeah, maybe that's their like their tag. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think she said there was a specific like if you're a pregnant woman with IBD that there's a particular doctor you then get assigned to a particular gastroenterologist who has a relationship with the sort of gynecologist. So maybe 
maybe that is the case. Yeah, I think it <laughs> maybe is. Maybe the doctor ended up with that job just because they were already mates with the gynecologist. How lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I will let you know in however many years <laughs> when I get there. I know. Oh, yeah, turning 28 next year is, um, it feels quite a big thing. <laughs> I don't know why. I know. It's one of those things, isn't it, where I know that we'll kind of like, we'll listen back to this in like however many years' time and be like, shut up. <laughs> 28 is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, we'll be like 38 and then we'll be like approaching 40 and that yeah. will feel. Like, what very... were we even complaining about? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> it will feel very different. Um, yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. I think this has been a good overview of my many (laughs) health thoughts and concerns. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that. Our first Tossin podcast with the wonderful Becky. What an absolute babe. Um, If you want to go and read some of Becky's blogs... And I urge you to do so because she's a fantastic writer. Head over to the Totten website at any time. And thanks again for listening and supporting us. See you soon.